Go ahead. Good evening. It's good to see everybody tonight. Glad to have those of you joining with us there on our social media platforms, uh, whether you're there on Facebook, on YouTube, uh, on Twitter, uh, on any of those. Uh, be sure to heart, to like, to share. Uh, be sure to subscribe there on YouTube. Uh, click the notification bell, and that way you'll get the uh, notification every time we go live. And then welcome also to those on our phone live streaming. I uh, just want to remind you, you can go to our church website at highlandbaptistchurch.com. Uh, go to the info tab. That's where you can download the worship bulletin. So be sure to get that downloaded. Lots of upcoming activities. Some of those already started today. So be sure to get that uh, downloaded. And then we've got our children's worship bulletins. If you need those in person, they're over here in the windowsill to my right. So uh, be sure to get some of those. And then also don't forget that you can do your online giving there at HighlandBaptistChurch.com. Go to the far right-hand side, click the Give Online tab, and you can do your online giving there as well as you can place it in the offering plates uh, on the sides here. Uh, if you're a guest with us, uh, I forgot to mention this this morning, so uh, somebody tap me on the head next time. If you're a guest, be sure to pick up one of our, our guest bags <laughs> that we want to uh, welcome you with and just let you know how glad we are to have you with us tonight. So, uh, Brother Mike, come and lead us, and we'll begin with worship with our songs. Turn your hymnals to 182, and let's sing uh, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. 182. We'll do all three verses. Ben. Yeah. 
Take your Bibles tonight, if you will, and turn to Luke's Gospel once again. Uh, we're at a place in our walk through the life of Jesus that uh, Luke seems to be the one who's following most chronologically at the time. And so we're going to be skipping over to some other books uh, soon, but we're going to be here in, in Luke for a couple more uh, messages. And so uh, I've entitled this message tonight, The Parable of Persistence. The Parable of Persistence. And you're going to see as we get into this parable uh, what it's uh, referring to, what it's talking about. So let's stand as we read God's Word in honor of His Word. Luke chapter 18, verse 1 down through verse 8. And He told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. And He said in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come to you in prayer tonight, I just pray, God, that you would take this passage and the lessons that we need to learn from it and make it powerful in our lives. May the Holy Spirit speak through our hearts, through your word. Father, I just pray your word will go forth in a powerful way to stir our hearts, to draw us, Lord, to a relationship with you if we don't know Christ, uh, to draw us closer to you if we do. And Father, I just pray that this message will be a burden uh, to all of our hearts, that it will uh, convict us, that it will pierce us, Lord, to the, to the very heart as we hear what you have to say to us tonight. So bless your word and bless this message. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And you be seated. <clears throat> you know, when the Lord tells a story... Uh, he always has primarily one main lesson he's trying to convey. Now, at this particular parable, the Lord gives the key right at the beginning because in verse 1 we're told that the Lord Jesus gives this parable for two primary reasons. Number one, to encourage us to keep on praying. And number two, to encourage us not to give up. Look back at what he said in verse 1. He said, and he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. And so this parable has to do particularly with God's people, with Christians. Uh, it's a parable for believers. If you go down to verse 7, it says, and God will not give justice, and will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night, will he delay long over them. Now that word elect there is a reference uh, to God's people, to Christians. It means those uh, who are saved belong to God. Those who are saved are the chosen of the Lord. And then when you look at the end of the 8th verse, it says, I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Literally, it's on the earth there. Uh, will he find the faith 
on the earth. And so here's the story that Jesus tells. It's directed to Christians uh, who are going to live in those last days uh, just before the Lord Jesus Christ comes again. I believe we're living uh, in the beginnings of those days. And, and this is a story here about a crooked judge. A crooked judge who was demanding, uh, who, who was, uh, he didn't care about God, he didn't care about people. In fact, uh, this was a crooked judge and here's a demanding widow. Now, by the way, when you read the parables of Jesus, you'll see that many times he fills those stories, those parables, uh, with a colorful cast. Sometimes it's a shepherd and his friends. Other times it's a woman uh, who's sweeping her house looking for a coin. Sometimes it's a father and his two sons. In this story, it's about a crooked judge and a demanding widow. So look at the story Jesus tells here. Here's a woman, a widow woman, who has a problem. She's been done an injustice. She has an adversary. In those days, widows were very often poor, and many times they were exploited. And God was very, very careful to say in the Scriptures that widows were to be cared for, uh, the, that the widow's needs were to be met. In fact, in James chapter 1, the Lord says to us that one of the evidences of genuine religion is that we care for those who are widows. That's just one one of the aspects there in James 1. But often the widows would go, uh, would be mistreated. And so here's a widow woman who has a problem. She has a need because there's some injustice that's been done to her. We don't know what the injustice is. We don't know what the infraction is against her, uh, that someone has brought against her. The only recourse she knows that she has is to go to a judge and plead her case. So she asked this judge if he would meet her need. She asked this judge to do justice for her. We're told some things, some things in this story about this judge. As we said a moment ago, uh, we're told that in this story about this judge that he didn't care anything about God. Uh, he wasn't God-fearing, and he didn't care anything about people. In other words, he was anti-God, and he was anti-people. Uh, he didn't have any conscience or compassion. He was a crooked judge. And so this widow comes to this judge and says to him, Avenge me. Do me justice in this situation. Now, you can almost hear him as maybe he says to her, like we would hear in a, in a courtroom today, uh, well, I'm just sorry, ma'am, but there's not a thing in this world that I can do uh, about your case. It's outside my jurisdiction. Wish I could help you. And he escorts her to the door. He's late for his golf game, so he makes a hasty re retreat out the back door. The next morning, the judge comes in, and this time he comes uh, through the reception area, and he looks over there, and there's this widow woman again. And he says to his secretary, what's she doing here? And, and she says, oh, she says she's going to stay here till she gets an answer. Uh, he said that, that she says she's packed a lunch and she's going to stay right here through the lunch hour. She's not going to give up. She's going to stay here as long as it takes. And he said, well, it's going to be a long time because I don't have any time to fool with her uh, and, and what she's wanting. Uh, I'm not interested in bothering with this poor widow woman. And so he slips out the back again. Next morning he comes again, and sure enough, here's this widow woman still sitting over there again. And now there's a reporter with her from the local newspaper. And the reporter says, Judge, what's this about this widow who's been coming to your office every day and you can't see her? So the judge goes into his quarters, and the Bible says that she kept coming and kept coming and kept coming and kept coming, and he finally steps to the side and, and set, thinks within himself and admits what a scoundrel he is. He says, I don't have any regard for God, and I don't care anything 
about people. But this woman is here, and she's driving me crazy. She just won't stop. I've got to do something. And so in verse 5, he says, Yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. Now, literally, the statement there, beat me down or, or weary me, there means to give me a black eye. That's what it really means there. It means if I don't do something, she's going to hurt my reputation because people are starting to find out about this widow woman who's coming, and she just keeps coming, and she's persistent. Now, he does something not because he's just, not because he cares anything about that widow, but simply because of her persistence. She strikes pay dirt, and she gets what she came after. So this is a story that Jesus tells, and it's a story that illustrates the great resource that we have, the children of the Lord have, in the, especially in the last days just before Jesus comes. Now I've said to you that there's one main lesson, but there are some other lessons I want you to see as we move up to the main lesson. Uh, because first of all, there's a lesson about problems. There's a lesson about problems. We're told here about this widow woman that we said had problems. It reminds us that God's children in the last days will have problems. Her time, uh, her times were difficult. She's, she's having a very difficult time. And we know that living for the Lord is going to be difficult. It's not only difficult now, but it's going to be even more difficult as we get closer to the coming of Jesus Christ. It's going to be more and more challenging for God's people in the latter days. And, and these may be difficult times now, but all kinds of pressures. And there's tremendous stress that are going to be placed on those who are sincerely trying to live like the Lord. So keep in mind the context of this passage. If you go back to chapter 17, you'll read there and know that what Jesus was talking about in the context there was about the second coming. Uh, he was talking about uh, his, when he was going to come again. In fact, chapter 17 is leading up to this story is a chapter that talks about the return of the Lord. The back at, look back at that chapter in chapter 17 and you'll notice that Jesus gives two illustrations of two different kinds of believers in the last uh, day kind of situations. Uh, in verse 26, he talks about uh, the days of Noah. He says, as it was in the days of Noah. So there's that, that time frame that he's talking about. And then he also says down in verse 28, likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot. And so uh, there are going to be those who are like Lot who are going to make it, but it's going to be extremely difficult for them. There are others like Noah uh, who are going to make it also, uh, but those two become illustrations of how it's going to be in the last days. Uh, some are going to be like Lot. I have a feeling if you, somebody was to sat down and, and interviewed Lot, uh, he would have said to us, I'm living, uh, I'm living in a tough time. I'm living in this city of Sodom. It's not easy. It's not easy to be in the business world. If you're a believer, it's not easy to be in the political arena. Remember, he was a judge. Uh, and, and, if you're, and, and so he says, I'm, I'm living in a time when you really can't live the Christian life. And sometimes people think that today. I'm simply going to say to you tonight that if you can't live the Christian life in a difficult atmosphere, then what's the point of being a Christian in the first place? Because that's when your light is shining the brightest in the darkest situations. Uh, what's it all about if you have to have some kind of ideal situations that you have to be totally surrounded by Christians to live like a Christian? 
But know that you can live for Jesus in difficult days. It is possible to do. We have people sitting in this service uh, who are in the business world. Uh, there are those we know that are in the political arena uh, who have pl places of political prominence. They're, they're living for the Lord. Uh, they're consistent with their testimony to Jesus Christ. We have a lot of young people uh, who go to schools that, that many times are, are anti-God sometimes. They're, they're against uh, in, in that atmosphere of living for Jesus on ungodly campuses, and sometimes people make fun of our young people for seeking to live for the Lord. But you can live for Jesus even when the times are difficult. I mean, think about it. Read in the New Testament uh, about the missionary journeys of Paul. Uh, you'll discover that he visited all the major population centers of the ancient world. I mean, he went to places uh, where they had a, a statue to the unknown God. They didn't even know what the God's name was. And so he waded through the worst places in, in the ancient civilization. And he, he came out strong and faithful and true in his testimony for Jesus Christ. You, you don't have to be a lot in difficult times. You can be a Noah. Noah lived for the Lord in the days just before the flood came. And if you interviewed Lot, he would have said you can't do it. But if you interviewed Noah, Noah would have, Noah would have said you can do it. Because think about it. Noah, he, you might have asked him, Noah, how did you live for the Lord in the days just before the flood? And, and I think Noah would say to you, something wonderful happened to me. The Bible says that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Noah experienced the saving grace of God. That's what you need. You need to be saved. You need to have that amazing grace experience. You need to be thoroughly born again, transformed from the inside out. God's grace is not only a saving grace, it's also a keeping grace, but it's also a living grace. God will give you the grace to live for him in difficult times. So here's this widow woman. She has problems. You know, we as Christians have problems because the times can be difficult sometimes. Uh, notice uh, also because of a disturbing testimony. This woman disturbed this judge. She was right back there every day. And you have to admit that a consistent Christian life can be somewhat disturbing to a lost and dying world. If you're saved and you're living for Jesus, maybe you go to your workplace, maybe you're at school, or, or maybe you're in an office place, or, or maybe you're out in, in, in one of the stores that you work at, or wherever you might work at, and you're seeking to live uh, for the Lord, you don't even have to be a person uh, who, is, who is being very blatant about your relationship with Jesus Christ. If you're living it, Truly living it before people, it's going to disturb people in their hearts. Because a Christian life makes those who aren't living a good life feel a bit uncomfortable. Even though you should never be obnoxious, if you just live for the Lord faithfully, it, it does sometimes cause people to be a little bit uncomfortable. And, and so a Christian, as we think about it, is, is really out of step with this world. A Christian isn't in tune with this world. Vance Habner, the great preacher, used to tell about an illustration about a group of kids who were in a marching band. And he said they were all marching in time except for one boy, and he was out of step, out of step with the rest of them. And when they looked closer, they found out this boy had a, had a transistor radio back in that day and had some earphones, plug, plugs in his, in his ears. And he was listening to some music that was being played 100 miles away, and that's why he was out of tune. He was marching in step to a tune from somewhere 
else. That's the way it is for a Christian. A Christian is in tune with another world. This is not our home. Heaven's our home. A Christian's plugged into music that's coming from glory. We have a different standard. We have a different motivation. So it's not always going to be popular to live for Jesus. And problems may occur if your testimony is, is definite for Jesus. So there's a lesson here about problems. Expect them to come. There's another lesson, not the main lesson yet, but we're getting a little bit closer. In this parable, there's also a lesson about prayer. And you see that as he begins in verse 1. He's told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. Now, this parable has to do with prayer. The prayer is the greatest resource we have as, as believers in the last day. Notice that prayer is our option. See these two choices that are placed in contrast one to another. He says you ought to pray, but don't faint. Don't lose heart. Don't lose courage. We have an option. Our option as believers is to pray, not to faint. Now the word faint there literally means to lose courage. It literally means to cave in to the evil. It's like you've got all this pressure. You know, we talk about that all the time, peer pressure for young people. We, we have all this pressure on us, and, and, and the world and the devil's putting as much pressure on us as they possibly can to get us to, to fall to the temptations around us. And it's like uh, there's this tendency in the temptation, and the danger is, is that we as Christians will cave to the evil around us. It's like a constant pounding over and over and over by the society around us. And if you don't watch out... You'll cave in. You'll cave in morally, and you'll cave in spiritually. But the Bible says don't cave in. He says don't lose heart. Don't take that option. The option that you ought to take is the option to pray. Use the resource of prayer. Now, let's go back to Lot. We were talking about Lot this morning in chapter 17. When you look at Lot, Lot caved in. Lot fainted, if you will, in his culture because he didn't take the option of prayer. When you go back and you study the life of Lot, and I tried to make this known this morning, so hopefully you'll get it at least tonight, you'll notice that his life was always intertwined with his uncle Abraham. As long as he was with Abraham, things were going great spiritually for him. He was prospering, God was blessing, things were going smooth in his life. But the moment he looks down into the plains toward the Jordan Valley there, and he says, that's where I want to go, and he, he sets, pitches his tent toward Sodom, everything begins to go downhill in his life from there. And he forgets about all the things that his uncle Abraham had been trying to instill in his heart and in his life. Everywhere Abraham went, as you study his life, you find that he pitched a tent and he built an altar. He pitched a tent and he built an altar. That means that Abraham understood that this world was a temporary resting place. That's why he was in a tent. He, God had told him, you're just going to be traveling through because this isn't your home, heaven's your home. This world was a temporary dwelling place, and so he built an altar. That is, he maintained his contact and his fellowship with God. But when you look at Lot, you'll find the mistake that Lot made. Everywhere Lot went, he pitched his tent, but it's never said that he built an altar. 
is never said that he prayed. He didn't use the resource of prayer. He didn't stay connected to, to God in his life. So when the temptations came and when the pressures came, what did he do? He caved in because he didn't use the option of prayer. So let me ask you this. Do you pray every single day? Are you in the Word of God every day? Are you talking and fellowshipping with God in prayer every day? Because as you read the Word of God, you'll learn about the times in which we're living, and you won't be fooled by the pressures uh, that are coming around you. And as you pray, you'll begin to draw strength in your life that will help you to meet the temptations and the problems and the difficulties that you experience with the power of God. Prayer is our option. Prayer is our opportunity. He says always to pray. That is, you must always pray. Now, the Bible tells we ought to take that, that opportunity constantly to pray. Uh, this is not the only place the Word of God says this. Uh, you can look over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17. It says, pray without ceasing. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18, it says, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication or prayers for all the saints. So what does that mean to be always praying? Does it mean that you've, you've always got to be down on your knees in prayer? That's not what he's talking about. You don't always have to be on your knees in prayer. Does that mean that you always have to have your eyes closed when you're praying? Did you know you can drive your car around Tullahoma and you can pray? Just don't ever close your eyes when you're doing it. <laughs> it means that you ought to pray, you ought to always be in that atmosphere of prayer. Prayer ought to be just as natural to you as breathing is. The lines of communication ought always to be open between you and the Lord. It's just like a husband and a wife. If you've been living with your spouse for a long time, uh, you just kind of know what the other one's thinking. Sometimes you don't even have to use words to communicate. I can tell you right now what my wife is thinking. I hope he's not about to say something about me. <laughs> I knew that's what she was thinking. You can just be driving along with your wife or your husband. Neither one's saying anything, but there's an atmosphere of communication. One speaks up, and it's natural to do. The other one will have something to say. It's just natural. You're constantly, consistently uh, talking with one another. It's not a, it's not a constant talking or a, an incessant talking with one another, but there's an atmosphere, a spirit of communication that's there all the time. That's the way we ought to live with God. We ought to be in that atmosphere of prayer all the time. Our lives ought to be constantly pointed toward God. And if it is, then prayer, as we said, will be just as natural as breathing air in and breathing air out of your bodies. Do that with me for just a moment. Could you breathe in? Breathe out. Won't let you hold it for too long. It ought to be just that natural. The Bible tells us, remember about Nehemiah? Uh, Nehemiah was, uh, was part of the group that was there uh, in the exile in Babylon. And, and it, the Bible tells us about Nehemiah that he had been praying for a long time. 
before we ever come to this place in the Scripture about Nehemiah, he had been praying for a long time that God would make it possible for him to go back to Jerusalem. And he's in the presence of the king, and the king says, Nehemiah, what do you want me to do for you? Nehemiah prayed to the Lord. That doesn't mean that he got down on his knees behind a desk and started praying. It means that Nehemiah just shot up one of those prayers, those arrow prayers up to heaven, and, and he had been already in that atmosphere of prayer. In difficult days, like many of us go through, we need to use the resource of prayer. There's a lesson here about our problems in last days. There's a lesson about prayer in the last days. But here's the main lesson that Jesus is trying to tell us and teach us, a lesson on persistence. Persistence. That's the whole point of this story that Jesus tells. Now, it's connected back into the previous two, back into prayer, prayer for our problems, but to be persistent in that. And so uh, it's a challenge to us, this passage is, it's a call to us that we ought to persist in prayer, that we always pray, that we not give up. The Duke of Wellington, after his victory over Napoleon at Waterloo, was asked to discuss the difference between the two armies. And the Duke of Wellington said this. He said, my soldiers weren't braver than the enemy. My soldiers were just brave five minutes longer. Persistence. Sticking with it. Let me show you from the Scripture and from the stories that Jesus tells why we ought to stay at it, why we shouldn't give up, why we ought not to lose courage, why we ought to keep on praying. We ought to keep on praying, persistent in prayer, because of the nature of our Heavenly Father. When Jesus teaches a parable, sometimes He teaches by way of comparison, but at other times He teaches by way of contrast. And that's what you have to do in this story. It's a contrast between the crooked judge and God the Father. What is Jesus trying to get across to us here? Is he trying to say that God is like this crooked judge? Absolutely not. God isn't a crooked judge. Uh, notice what he says uh, again if you, if you go down to verse 7. He says, And will not God give justice to his elect who cry out to him day and night? Will he delay long over them. So he says, here's the contrast. Here's this judge who doesn't even believe in God, who's anti-God, and he's anti-people, and he is, in contrast, totally opposite of God, the Father. And so Jesus is trying to get this message across. Is he, is he trying to say that God's like this crooked judge? No. He's not saying that we, we have to nag God and bug God, and finally God will give in if we just give him enough trouble. That's not what he's saying. The Lord's not a crooked judge. He's teaching by contrast. And so he's saying that if a crooked judge will give this poor widow woman what she needs because of her persistence, how much more will your heavenly Father answer us when we pray? This widow woman provoked the judge. We don't provoke the Lord when we pray. This woman disturbed the judge. We don't disturb God. God delights in us when we pray. He wants us to pray. This judge didn't care a thing in the world about this woman. He cared everything about himself. Think about our Heavenly Father in contrast. He doesn't think about himself. He cares about everything about you. We aren't like this widow either. This widow isn't us. The Bible says we're the bride 
of Jesus Christ. This widow didn't have any friends to represent her in court. We have a friend, an advocate, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, who is there interceding before us at the throne. Our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, has made us His own, and we belong to Him. He's saying to us that we have a wonderful Heavenly Father. And we can pray and consistently pray because we have a Father in Heaven who gives to us generously, never scolds us because we keep on coming. God never does get tired of you coming to Him. You ever thought about that? He never gets tired of you coming to Him. God is anxious for you to come to Him. God wants you to pray. God is longing for you to pray. God loves to hear you pray. God longs for you to call on Him in prayer. Look at verse 7. Verse 7 said, And will not God give justice to His elect who cry to Him day and night, who are persistent? Will He delay long over them? So not only because of the nature of our Father, should we keep on praying, but the nature of prayer itself. Because that is why he, he waits to give the answer. He touches on the, the whole issue here, the whole area of, of answered prayer. Does God answer prayer? Yes. Does God answer every prayer? Yes. Every prayer he answers. Sometimes God's answers to prayer are direct. Boom. Just like that. You pray, you ask God for something, and it's like right out of glory, God gives it. That's awesome when that happens. But then there are times when you pray, and God's answer, God answers your prayer, but He gives you something different than you asked for. You ever had that happen to you? You ask God for one thing, He gives you something else, and then you look back on the whole situation, and you're really glad that He did. He doesn't always, we don't always know what to ask for. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit helps us uh, to be able to ask because we don't always know what to ask uh, for. I mean, and think about this. How many of you, uh, when, when you were younger and you were dating, ladies or men, uh, and you wanted to marry so-and-so back yonder, and, and you thought that you were just going to die uh, when they broke up with you? And, and you thought that was the end of the world. You thought the sun and the moon and the stars were going to fall out of heaven because you had lost him or her. And now you look at the one that you're married to and you say, where is that other person again? <laughs> you say, I'm so glad that I got this guy or this girl instead of that other one. God answered your prayer, but he gave you something different than you asked for. Then sometimes God answers prayer with a very simple word, no. You ever like when mom and dad told you no? <laughs> no. <laughs> None of us like to hear no. We want what we want. I mean, you see it in the stores, don't you? You see the kids that are pitching a fit down the toy aisle or the candy aisle and, or down the cereal aisle. I, I want it, I want it, I want it, I want it now. Sometimes we ask and God just says, no. You think about Elijah, one of the great prophets of God. Elijah got so down in the dumps one time that he said, Lord God, it just isn't worth living anymore. Why don't you just kill me, Lord? And God said, no. That's not what you need, Elijah. What you need is a good meal and some, a night's rest. Sometimes God answers, but his answer is no. 
Then sometimes God answers your prayer, but there's a delay that's involved in the answer. That's what this story of Jesus is really touching on. Jesus is talking here about being persistent in prayer even when there's a delay in the answer. So when you pray and you pray and you pray and the answer doesn't come, the question for us on our side is, God, why are you delaying? Sometimes God does it as a matter of teaching. There are some lessons that you can only learn through the delays in prayer that you'll never learn in any other circumstance. Want an example? Here's one. You remember Lazarus? Lazarus was sick. And Mary and Martha sent word to Jesus he was sick. He was going to die if he didn't come. And the Bible says that he stayed three days where he was. And while he was there, Lazarus died. Now think about Mary and Martha. Don't you think Mary and Martha must have wondered, why is the Lord delaying? Yet when they learned about the power of the resurrection of the Lord through that time of delayed answers to prayer, you'll learn a lot about God during those times when answer is delayed. So as you keep on praying, don't lose heart. And as you persist in prayer, don't cave in. Sometimes God delays his answers as a matter of testing to see how serious we are in this matter of prayer. Another example of that is Jacob. You remember uh, Jacob prayed to God all night one night. And he said to the Lord, uh, when, remember when he wrestled with the Lord, the angel of the Lord, he said, I won't let you go until you bless me. He's testing to see if we'll hold on, if we're really sincere, if we're really committed about the matter. Sometimes it's a timing element. Sometimes it's not time for God to give that answer in prayer. God knows what he's doing. God has a schedule, and God is always on time. You may not be ready to get the answer right now. But you think about, what about those people who pray for something for years, and they die, and it still doesn't come? That doesn't mean it's not going to come. Just because you die and you go on to heaven and your prayer hadn't been answered, it doesn't mean that, that it's not going to be. You may be praying for something even right now, and you may die and your prayers were never answered, but you'll be up there in glory, and one day you'll look down through the windows and the hallways of glory, and you'll see God answer that prayer, and you'll have a hallelujah shouting time in heaven. Don't give up. Don't quit praying. Just keep on praying. Look again at verse 8. Jesus says, won't God do this to his children? This woman, he didn't, this judge, he didn't care about people. He didn't care about God, but God cares. And, and verse 8 goes on to say, I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Now, the word speedily there is a very interesting little phrase. It occurs in Revelation chapter 1, Verse 1, where the Lord said, The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place or speedily take place. Now, we know that the, the book of Revelation was written about 2,000 years ago, yet he says it'll soon take place or shortly come to pass. What does he mean? 
He means that when these things begin to happen, they're going to happen in rapid, surefire succession in order. Look at the terminology of the coming uh, again of Jesus. You, you think about the terms caught up. That's rapid. You think about in the twinkling of an eye. That's speedily. And so the Lord is saying some of these answers to prayer are delayed, but you just keep on praying because one of these days in God's good time, it's all going to happen. And when it does, boom, 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 it's all going to fall into place. Think about Joseph. Joseph in the Old Testament, he was accused wrongfully. He was lied about. Joseph wound up in prison. And can you just imagine how he felt when he went to prison for something he didn't even do. As best as we can figure, we think he stayed there about two years in that prison. How many times do you think in those two years Joseph must have prayed and asked God to get him out of that prison? How many times did Joseph blast the gates of heaven and persist in his prayer and say, Oh God, have you forgotten me? You know I'm innocent. When are you going to get me out of this prison? Two long years and the answer hadn't come yet. But one morning, Joseph got up, started his day just like any other day, all like he had done for the last two years. At about that time, there was a rattle at the doors of the prison. A servant came in and said, Where's Joseph? Joseph, get your razor out. Get yourself a shave, a change of clothes, because you're going to see Pharaoh. And you remember the story that before that day was over, here was a young man who started out the day in prison, but wound up that day in the palace as the prime minister. Boom, boom, boom. It all happened just like that. I want to encourage you tonight. Keep on praying. Whatever the problem is you have, whatever the trouble is you're going through, you keep on praying. I want to encourage you to never give up. You have a lost loved one, just keep on praying until God's light begins to break through. Just keep on praying. He'll answer you. You have a personal problem in, in difficult times, just keep on praying. God will answer in his time. So Jesus tells us this story here. He says, keep on praying. Don't give up. He said, when the Lord comes, will he find faith on the earth? In fact, will he find the faith on the earth? When Jesus comes, will he find you trusting in him, praying to him, or will he find you fainting and failing and losing heart? Will he find you praying or will he find you fearing? Let me encourage you, keep praying and keep on praying and don't cave in. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what an encouraging passage for us tonight. From just a simple story that Jesus shared to illustrate so many wonderful truths about prayer and about persistence in prayer. And Father, I pray that even when we have problems, maybe like this with a woman or maybe even worse or maybe even less in our eyes, 
Help us to know, Lord, that you care about everything that is going on in our heart and in our life. You care about everything that's going on in our marriage. You care about everything that's going on in our, with, with our brothers and our sisters and our families. You care about everything that's going on in the schools and in the workplace and in the community all around us. You care about what's going on across the United States and around this world. So, Father, help us to care. Help us to uplift those problems in prayer. And to keep on praying, to be persistent in prayer, knowing, God, that if this unjust judge would answer what this lady needed, how much more will you answer the problems we have and the need we have? So we come to you tonight, and we say, Lord, here it is. Whatever my problem is, I hold it out with open arms. Lord, I, I don't have my hands clenched. I don't have, I'm not holding on to it. I just want to open my arms, my hands, and give it to you completely. Lord, take my problem and bring the answer that I need when I need it in the way I need it. I trust you, God, for your will. And Lord, I pray that I'll be consistent and persistent to keep on praying until the answer comes. Lord, I pray tonight that if there's one who's here and they don't know Jesus as their Lord and their Savior, I pray they would start their first prayer right now and say, Dear God, I know that I'm a sinner and I need to be saved. I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sins. I believe he was buried in the tomb and arose on the third day. Jesus, come into my life and save me. I repent of my sin. I turn away from it. And I turn to follow you, Jesus, and help me to live for you all the days of my life. Father, I pray if there's someone who's prayed something like in, that in their hearts, may they come tonight to publicly profess that faith in Christ. If they're watching online, Lord, I pray that they'll just comment there or send us an email so we can follow up with them. But Father, I pray that for us as believers, may we never lose heart. May we never give up. May we never cave in. May we keep on praying. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Brother Mike, come and lead us in our hymn of invitation. Would you stand as we close tonight?
thank you so much for joining us tonight, especially those of you online. Uh, thank you for being there. If you uh, have any needs, please be sure to comment there. We'll be able to follow up with you there. You can send us an email, as we said before, at HighlandBaptistTullahoma at gmail.com or HighlandBaptistCafes.net. Uh, Either one of those will work. So encourage you to do that. We'll be back Wednesday night. I won't be here in person, but we'll have a video message uh, that we'll be sharing. Brother Mike will be leading us in a song. Uh, so you come and join us. We'll still have Awana. We will not have choir practice. So just want to make you remind you of that also. But you have a blessed week. You stay safe. We'll see you this coming Wednesday.